This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, spring ball is here. And we give you the latest OU football updates, including our reaction to Brent Venable's press conference and the biggest question marks for OU football that need to be answered in spring practice. ESPN college basketball analyst Dallin Cuff joins us to preview the Sweet 16 and talk some March Madness. And we finish up giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, March 24th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Craps, and Teddy's favorite, Roulette. What? We'll explain that. We'll explain (laughs) that. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in March from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play and Riverwind's $80,000 courtside cash giveaway. Drawings are every 30 minutes, and grand prize winners will be selected at 11:59. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this Wednesday night. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. It's been a while. Do you remember? How did we do this? I don't know. It's been so long. It, we showed up. We're wearing matching shirts. And we both were like, ah, it's fine. We're out of practice. It's, it's not, it's not a well-oiled machine like you would expect, right? It's, uh, it's not like riding a bike. I was putting <laughs> the rundown together. I was like, do I remember how to do this? <laughs> it hasn't even been that long. But uh, it's excited to be back, man. Excited to be back. You know, took a little vacation. We had a couple great interview episodes with Shane Beamer and our man Thad Turnipseed. So hopefully everyone enjoyed those. But it's spring football time in Oklahoma. Exciting. Very exciting. So I like it. Sooners practice Tuesday. They will practice again Thursday. And I believe Saturday, 
this week as well. They'll put the pads on on the weekend, which will be fun. And should we start? Where should we start? Because we missed some stuff. Should we start with BV's press conference? Is that the easiest starting point? Yeah, let's go back to the beginning. All right. So Brent Vittables had his spring ball opening press conference. And let's start with the most important thing. Ted, are you upset with him that he brought you and roulette up and did not explain your roulette strategy? Yeah, it's not fair. He, um, he just basically painted me as a, uh, you know, just your basic roulette player, which is not true. I have a very specific system that I stick to and it has worked sometimes. <laughs> no novice roulette player is what you're telling me. That's do you right. want to, do you want to elaborate on your system or is this like, is this intellectual property that you do not want to divulge? Intellectual property. I don't want to divulge. I may have a, uh, like a 1-800 number where I give away some of my tips at some point. Okay. So I'm keeping that close to the vest until now. I want to win all the money. And I'm, sh- I'm sure you will. What, what could possibly go wrong with roulette? <laughs> okay. But the first thing Brent Vittables brings up in his press conference, pack the palace. And we're going to continue to keep reminding the OU fan base, April 23rd, 3 PM kickoff for the spring game. Get your tickets, people. Uh, I mean, we talked to our man, Thad turnip seat about everyone doing their part. This is the way that, Fans can do their part. And with how, with how much OU is pushing this now, like I'm almost to the point where I'm going to be surprised if it's not full, right? Is is that kind of where you're that that's kind of where I'm at now with it. Well, I hope, um, you know, just, just like we, we've heard Venable say, we heard Thad turnip seed say, I, if it's going to be a huge recruiting weekend, obviously there's going to be a ton of big name recruits in, And we are selling that, you know, this is the best place to play football. It's the best football team. It's the best program. It's got the best fan base. It's the best atmosphere. And we got to live up to that. So it does make a difference whenever, whenever you're a player and you're going somewhere and you see a packed out, you got 80,000 people there for a spring game and have a crazy atmosphere the guys walk away from that saying, Oh my God, what's it going to be like with a real football game against the top opponent in the fall with the season on the line, man, this, this place is going to be insane. So it does make an impact on these guys. Yeah. And I, I can't remember, OU pushing people to come to a spring game like this. Like it's been, I'm not sure I can remember like, because it feels like they're advertising it everywhere like in they've got marvin mims putting it on the instagram story of the official account like all this stuff they're pushing it pushing it pushing it so man i can't wait to see how the fan base responds so get your tickets they're still available get your tickets but okay some of the other highlights of bv's press conference uh one phrase that i just absolutely loved that he said a culture of earning it not not really putting a depth chart out. Depth chart's going to change a lot. Said this is a game of performance, not potential. Going to reward the guys for what they do on the practice field. And also, don't forget, all the stuff off the field, that gets that 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 carries weight as well. Like 
everything matters in Brent Vittables' mind. But I loved hearing that because, you know, I I think one of the most important things is creating that sense of competition where no one feels any entitlement. Everyone's on edge. Everyone feels like they have to get better. Everyone feels like someone's coming for their spot. Like you're under constant evaluation. Yes, it's a it's a stressful position to be in as a player, but I've always thought like that's that's the way you get the most out of guys. And just hearing him talk about rewarding performance and it just not being about, you know, what how high of uh, highly ranked you were as a recruit and all that stuff, like that is that's what this program needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, as a player, it's refreshing to feel like, okay, I'm going to get an honest shot at this thing. I'm going to get an honest shot. Uh, it's it's about the performance out there. It's not about the potential. I think you've probably, I know I have, I'm sure you've played somewhere where there's a guy playing out there and we're looking at each other saying, why is this happening? Why Why is this continued to be allowed where, you know, they're, they're dead set on getting this guy out on the field. I know he's got a lot of potential, but he's just not ready. It's not happening, but you know, you continue to be frustrated with it. So, you know, I, I think it's the best way. Really. I think it's the only way to run a program and uh, you're going to get a ton of buy-in from the guys. Now, once the, you know, the depth chart is set, so to speak, or guys start to find those roles, I, I do think there's going to be, you know, I don't, I don't expect like a ton of pushback, but you know, the buy-in right now is full bore. Cause I feel like everyone feels like they've got an honest chance. Yeah. And as that changes, well, then you may see guys say, well, this is too hard or I don't like, I don't like what we're doing here. It's not, you know, it's not working out for me. So I do think there's going to be some of that through spring ball, which is, you know, it's totally normal whenever you have a new coach take over. So but for the time being, I think it's excellent. Yeah. Okay. Um, BV also said that six of the top 10 most experienced guys on the roster are guys that came from the transfer portal. Uh, I believe the phrase he used was successful experience. And remember when he was hired and everyone was wondering like, hey, is he even going to take transfers because of the way they think did things at Clemson? And I think this is the way he's going to use the transfer portal. I think he's looking for guys that clearly are really, really good football players, but that are also also leaders. So he's going to develop this this program, this culture, the way that he wants, and that's going to be blending, getting those high school guys and, and kind of building them up from the ground up, and then bringing in experienced, you know, high character guys that were captains, like these type of guys that that have transferred in in this class like i i kind of expect that to be his approach with the transfer portal throughout his tenure at ou like that i i think this this paints kind of a good picture of what to expect when it comes to how he will utilize the portal yeah i think he'll be selective and yeah. i think it it's also going to depend i think on like what the development of the football team looks like if it's slow and the guys in certain positions of need aren't coming along, well, then they'll be forced to probably be more active in the transfer portal, right? But if you get good development, 
the young guys come along really well. Some of your experienced guys are are playing good football, and it's everything's progressing the way you want it to. Well, the transfer portal is just going to be kind of a, a, an opportunity to maybe add a special guy here or there that brings something unique to the football team. And I'm totally with you. If he had in a perfect world, he probably wouldn't have the transfer portal at all. You'd have this steady train of development where you're playing juniors and seniors and developing freshmen and sophomores, but that doesn't always work. Injuries happen. Guys transfer out guys go to the NFL early. Like it's hard to keep it that simple. So you do have to to go to the portal at times, but I think he's going to be smart with it and it's not going to be become a team of, of transfers. Like one of the things that we've talked about is it's really difficult to build a culture whenever you're bringing a ton of guys in from outside. It's, it's hard to build it from the inside out that way whenever you're adding a bunch of different guys that didn't come in with this core group of, of guys. So I, I think the way he's doing it right now is, you know, it's going to be a little more out of need, but as they settle in and, and get the development going, I think it'll be fewer and further between. Yeah, for sure. Okay, maybe the quote that made my ears perk up the most, uh, BV said, I've had a thousand conversations with players that have come up to me and said, thank you for the structure. Thank you for the accountability. Thank you for the attention to detail. Thank you for the discipline. I, I'm going to choose to believe he's not throwing shade. I I just think, I, I'm guessing, or I, with the way that we know Venables, I, I feel like those conversations have happened. Like a lot of guys have brought this up to him. But it certainly looks, and I know he's not intending it this way, it certainly looks like he's throwing shade at Lincoln Riley with this. Like, there's there's really no way around it. Yeah, I it does. But, you know, all of these things are what my complaints have been about the program. And and you've seen it. People have talked about it. The, the details were not good. Details were not good. We talked about it on this podcast felt like almost every weekend after games, even if we won, we continued to say it's not a detail-oriented football team, right? And even um, when they were nine and zero, right, we were still complaining. Like, and it was, it was little things. Like, it was alignment, it was technique, it was penalties. Like, it was all this stuff where you're just like, man, this isn't the way you're supposed to play. And I don't know. I I guess. BV is doing his absolute best to correct those things as quickly as possible. At least that's how I interpreted this. Well, I, I'll just tell you, for me, I, I didn't know it before. And it was really, there was like a, a really rough patch getting, getting acclimated to it. But that type of structure and detail and accountability, it really makes life really easy. Like there is no gray area. Everything is buttoned up. And when everything is buttoned up, then, you know, you're prepared, you're coached up, you, there's, there's no room for, there's not nearly as much room for, for mess ups and scrambling around last minute, trying to pull things together. It's just, it's a cleaner, more efficient way of doing things. And it's not shocking to me that the guys so far are, are drawn to that different style of culture. And I, I don't think that 
you would get the same response from the players if BV and his staff weren't working so hard on like developing those relationships and making sure these guys know that they they care about them, like and all this stuff. Like I think that this all works together. Like you're extremely demanding and you say, Hey, this is how we do it. Like, this is the way we are going to do things. It may not be exactly the way that you want to do it, but this is the standard. This is how the entire football team is going to operate. And then you also love on them. Like, and you get to know them and you get to know them as people. And all that. I think it all works together. Like this is all, this is all part of his approach. And like this philosophy he's developed over over the last several years of how to to coach players, but also how to connect with his players. Yeah. And I just just from the little that I've witnessed and and the, the guys that I've talked to, which you know, whenever you ask someone like, hey, how's it going up there? What do you think of of Venables? They're not gonna say, man, it's I don't like it. This dude is crazy. Like, I, no one's really going to say that, right? Even if they think it, you're going to hear good things. But I honestly, whenever I talk to guys and ask them what they think and, and how they feel about it, everyone is just like, man, I, I just, I can't even tell you, I can't even explain to you how different and how good. And I, everyone's just, everyone thinks the program is just like on the perfect trajectory. Now, we'll see what happens with it, you know, because we've had one practice with helmets only. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I think that they couldn't have gotten off to a better start. I'll say this is how one member of the staff uh, put it to me. Organized and energized. Yeah. And I like the sound of that. I really like the sound of that. So it is, yeah, it's, it, it was interesting to hear all the things Brent had to say heading into spring ball, but I mean, we can't, we can't just not acknowledge him calling Bob Prisbillo. What was it? Johnny gigolo. It was incredible. It was, I know he was talking about, you know, recruits and then he could, he made the marriage analogy. Like, Hey, what's you proposed? Did you go out and act like Johnny gigolo, which was, I mean, the, the guy, it was it was an awesome moment in an opening press conference, but it also gives you a little peek into the recruiting mentality of Brent Venables and kind of how he's going to operate. And it's it seems like it's just going to be a little different than what we've grown used to, you know, what we've uh, grown accustomed to around here that it could be a little later in the year a little later in the you know in the recruiting timeline before OU's recruiting class really comes together, you know, with him saying, Hey, go as many places you can save us for last. And then now I'm sure no one will use the don't commit thing uh, against him. They will use it against him, but it's okay. He he's, he's got that mentality and it's going to be interesting to see if that mentality evolves or adjusts in any way. But yeah, I think that that, that was his way of putting it out there that like, Hey, this is, this is what I believe in when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm shocked that it's so controversial to some people. And it's not, I don't think it's a very big group. I think it's a, a, a minority of people that 
feel like it's a terrible idea. And I just don't understand that. It's not unreasonable to ask someone that whenever they're making a commitment to you to come to the university, like you've offered them a scholarship, one of your limited amount of scholarships that you can offer up in a year to a certain position. You've got numbers that you've got to allocate to, to position groups. It, when a guy makes a commitment to you, it's not unrealistic to ask him to shut down his recruitment and not go places. Because you, whenever you go places, there people are going to tell you all kinds of different things, right? That's not an unrealistic ask. Um, I, and he's not telling guys that you can't take other visits. Go take them. But know that if you're ready to commit, we we want to use that word for what it is. I mean, you can't just say commitment and not like back, call it something else. Call it whatever you want, but it's not commitment. That's not what commitment means. So I don't know. I don't think it's an unreasonable ask, and I don't think it's all that controversial. I, I just think that, you know, part of the fan base is is more curious than anything. Like, okay, if a guy commits to Brent Venables and this staff, and then maybe he does go on another visit, like, what happens? Does he call it, like, does know. he call it? And is it is it the same for every prospect? If it's a five-star quarterback, like, is it different? Like, that's, if it's a five-star defensive lineman, is it different? Like, or is it a strict, like, hey, if you commit to us and you take another visit, like, we're done. Like, I I find it hard to believe that it would be, like, that strict of, of a belief. But, hey, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. If you're a recruit and you tell coach, I'm ready to commit, and coach says, okay, now if you commit, no visits anywhere else. You say, oh, well, I wanted to go see Alabama. Well, then maybe you shouldn't commit yet. Yeah, okay, I want to come here, but I want to go see Alabama first, and then I'll commit afterwards. I, who's going to say, I'm ready to commit. The coach says, okay, no more trips anywhere else. And you say, no more trips anywhere else. Well, I'm not coming here then. All of a sudden, <laughs> How this isn't. dare you? Like, if you think it's the best place for you to play, someone saying that you can't take another trip somewhere else isn't going to keep you. I, 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 you would have to have your priorities so screwed up for that to be the deciding factor of why you chose another school. That's ridiculous. Right? He wouldn't let me commit and go somewhere else to visit. He did tell me, though, that I don't need to commit. I could just go visit, and if I still like OU better, I can commit then, but I'm not counting that. He said if I stay committed, I can't go. It's so stupid. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, here's what I'll, at the end of the day, it, it will not matter. It doesn't matter. If you lose a kid over the fact that Venables wouldn't sign off on him taking another trip while he was committed. You don't want him anyways. Like if, if that is the reason why he's not coming to school at OU, you don't want him. And the way that they're doing everything right now, it's just, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter.
Yeah, and I, I will say whatever whatever strategy the staff is using right now to get these guys to come to campus, uh, it's working because they got some dudes that saying. have been that's visiting in March. That's why I say it. It's not going to matter. Yeah, it's just not. So, I I think I think we needed to address it because I know uh, there there was a faction of the fan topic. base. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely is. But yeah, I think you. I think you approached it logically, Ted. So congratulations. <laughs> That's the first thing. There's ever there's I've a bunch of people that are gonna hear that gonna be like, Teddy just doesn't understand how soft the kids are these days. <laughs> it's gonna. I, you know what? Here's what's here's interesting. When I was offered a scholarship by Venables, I committed instantly, like a day later. Like I didn't know how the whole process went, but I I committed instantly. Well, come to the fall, like I had started getting calls from people and, and whatever, like, and I didn't ever talk to anyone. I never picked up the phone, but so I can't, I can't even remember who it is. Someone I knew was going on a visit. I think it was Nebraska. And the reason I think it was, it was such a, it was a huge game in 99. And I think it was Nebraska, Kansas, uh, Kansas state, but I'm not sure. I can't even remember what the school was. So I was like, they want me to come on a visit. Maybe I could take a visit up there and just because I just wanted to watch the game. And so I, I called Coach Venables, and I was like, hey, I want to go to that game. I know one of the players that's going up there. Can I go? And he said no. And I said, okay, fine. Done. That's it. Easy. Right? And your career I mean, went very poorly. Right. I didn't say, what? what? Oh, how, how dare he do that? I, no, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's nothing. Oh, I'm telling you, there's going to be people that listen to this. They're like, daddy just doesn't get it. He just doesn't understand kids. Now I may not understand kids, but I'll tell you what I do understand. I understand the English language. Okay. And commitment has a damn meaning. We can't just use words and and they don't, and it's meaningless. Call it something else. If you want to say something to OU after they offered you a scholarship, just say I'm interested. Oh, uh, so-and-so recruit has declared he's interested in Oklahoma, but he's going to continue to take other visits. That's what that means. Not committed, because you're not committed. You you just started you just started a new little column. On Rivals.com and on 24-7 Sports and on three, there is now going to be the interested check mark. Not committed, interested. Is that what you is that what it is? I'm uh oh, we just got a big layman declared oh. he's interested in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, one uh, we got to talk about this. Matt Wells, right? Joining the OU staff. I will say this. He's an awesome guy. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a lot uh, when he was at the when he was the head coach for Texas Tech. Uh, I've had some good conversations with him off the record. He's awesome. And Ted, you ran into him for the first time. How about I that? Did. I met him. It was awesome. Um, he still seems pissed off that he. I guess he recruited you and. He he thought he was gonna land the deal and and he's like I got I got hammered by a label right by uh, uh OU came in and 
stolen by, so. by his new employer. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, he was at he was at Utah State, and yeah. he's he's great. He's great. But when when you look at what he can bring to the staff, and I know that's like high school relations, recruiting relations, whatever you want to call his title, like he's a guy that's been a head coach for nine years at Utah State and at Texas Tech. And I know things didn't go great for him at Texas Tech, but he has balanced all the things a head coach has to balance. And he's going to be a valuable resource for Brent Vittables. And not only that, like he's an experienced set of eyes. Like the guy's seen a ton of football. Also cut his teeth on the offensive side of the ball. Like he has a wealth of offensive football knowledge that, you know, he can bring to these meetings with the staff. And that's why Baylor and Penn state and USC we're all trying to get him to join their staffs, like because he's a respected guy. And I will say this about him. Fun fact. Matt Wells has an unreal geographical knowledge of the state of Oklahoma and the state of Texas. He knows like every city and he knows every high school in those cities and the mascot. It's truly unbelievable. In just a basic conversation with, Matt Wells, myself, and two other individuals. The conversation lasted no more than two, three minutes. Um, he hammered off about four or five very, very like off the beaten path high schools and their mascots uh, that came up in the conversation. And, I was impressed. and you and I, you and I haven't even talked about this. So the fact that no. I brought it up and you're like, "Yep, that's right," it was impressive. I'll tell you though, like one of the one of the great things about, and we've seen this at Alabama, um, but whenever you have guys like that have that type of experience on your staff, you know, one of the things that's going to happen is as you have success, coaches are going to get opportunities and, you know, they may take some. You may, you may lose Lebby to a head coaching job. You may lose... Uh, a different, you know, position coach to a, a coordinator job somewhere. And you've got someone right there on your staff that is ready and able to step right in and take over and, you know, not really miss a beat, know the offense, know whatever. If it's a defensive guy, be able to step in and fill that role if, you know, if one happens to open up. So it's nice to have those guys around. Yeah. And I will say this, like, it's, it's a mutually beneficial thing, right? Like Brent Venables and the staff get they they can pick Matt Wells' brain on all of his experiences, right? And that's that's football stuff off the field, like how to handle situations, like how he handled certain situations when he was a head coach. But also Jeff Levy's offense is kind of like it's the hot thing going, right? So I'm sure Wells saw that opportunity. He's like, you know, I can I, I can learn a little bit here. Like I can, I can take some things from this experience and that's what you see with Saban, right? Remember when we talked to Mike Stoops yeah. about his experience there with Saban, like just having notebooks and notebooks and notebooks, not only of football stuff, but like operational stuff. Like I, I think that Matt Wells is looking at this going, well, Hey, Brent Venables has worked for Bob Stoops and Dabo and, They've had some pretty damn good football teams. Jeff Levy's had one of the most successful offenses in 
you know, it, over the last three seasons, like he's clearly doing something right. Like he's going to gain, he's going to gain a lot from this experience just for when it comes to the football knowledge side of things. And then also you've got the operational side of things, like all these new programs that OU's implementing and really pouring stuff into developing the guys. Like seems like a really awesome opportunity for Matt Wells and tech's still paying him. So, Hey, that's the bonus, right? Is, um, and even for OU, he's probably on a very small salary and you get that type of experience there. And, you know, being at Oklahoma, it doesn't really matter what role it is. It looks good on a resume. Yeah. And he's from Salisaw, the black diamonds, black diamond. That's right. See, just pulled him out. Wells. I I'll say this, not very well liked in Salisaw. I, I 75 yard touchdown to beat him in the playoffs. Yeah. Ooh, how about that? Yeah. One of their best teams ever. Uh, I'm sorry. I I'll still have. I still have people from Salisaw like come up to me uh, when we're doing pregame radio outside the stadium uh, in Norman. They'll be like, I'm from Salisaw, and I'll just say, I'm sorry. And they, they're like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to tell me that you hit a couple uh, trifectas out there at Blue Ribbon Downs and shut the lights out on that place. They don't I, like I, you around there anymore. I you know? Maybe I did that too. <laughs> maybe I did that too. All right, let's, let's talk some spring football. Like on the field, what are the biggest questions for for OU heading into spring ball? Or I guess they're already started. So what are the biggest questions for OU in spring? But first, Love's Travel Stops. The only place to stop when you're lo- road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 560 locations in 41 states offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery, soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. And use our promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. Still get a discount on all the OU and Oklahoma City Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com and use the promo code TED for 10% off buttery soft and 10% off. Yeah. All right. Biggest questions for OU in spring ball. You want to start on offense or defense? Let's go offense. Okay. Dylan Gabriel, right? I, I think that how good can he be? Jeff, Jeff Levy's offense put a lot. It puts a lot on the quarterback. And when you look at the important things for Dylan Gabriel, and I know he's been working since he got on campus, but can he establish the chemistry with his wide wide receivers? Can he develop as the leader of the offense and as the leader of the team? And then will he continue to wear that helmet? Like that's, that's, that's where the hell is that thing. 
it looks like it's from outer space. Like, I can't decide if I love it or hate it. I Well, I could decide. I hate it. It's good for him. I would never put my head in one of those things. That's I, terrible. I, okay, you say that. I will reserve judgment until I am allowed to put my, hel- my head inside one of those helmets because, and you know this well, like, it can look goofy. There's, there, there's a scale, right, when it comes to helmet. On one side, you've got comfort, and on the other side, you've got look. And you got to find the balance. So there, there's no doubt, goofy look, goofy look. But is the comfort like just so good to where it's a sweet spot of the balance of comfort and look? Like I, I cannot judge the helmet until I place it on my head. Well, I think it's pathetic. There's no way any of the football players are wearing that thing. That's got to be a quarterback only version where you know you're not going to be using it to bash into other helmets repeatedly. There's no way. There's no way that thing could withstand that. What bothers you so much? Is it the face mask? It's probably the face mask. The face mask? Yeah, it's like it's tiny. There's not even a face mask on it. It's got this big windshield on it that's like, it's ridiculous. I've never seen it. It doesn't even look like a football helmet. It it looks like an astronaut. Helmet it looks like thing. what Tom Cruise was wearing. What was that movie he was in? Oh God, it's terrible. I there that can't be a full pads helmet, can it? Is that like? It's supposed to be super high tech, right? Yeah, it looks super high tech. I would I, maybe reconsider if it has an air conditioner in it. Other than that, not wearing it. I want something like I'm old school. I need something super heavy. Heavy is durable. <laughs> he said, I need something super heavy. Heavy is durable. It's what like a... in the movie Snatch. Have you ever seen that? Whenever he's oh. trying to buy a gun, he's got the big heavy revolver. <laughs> it means it's durable. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt ripped up in that movie. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But it, other than the helmet, like it, it is clearly a very important spring for Dylan Gabriel, but developing that chemistry, becoming the leader of the team, but also helping Nick Evers come along, right? I don't think Dylan Gabriel feels threatened right now, which I do think when it comes to the quarterback position is not necessarily a bad thing, but I I do think him being comfortable and being comfortable kind of bringing Evers along and helping him develop as a young QB, I think that's an important part too. Yeah, it is, um, you know, just uh, that's why that experience that he has previously in the offense uh, is going to help him a lot, uh, you know, being able to draw on some of that stuff. And I'm sure some of it's changed since he was last in it. And but having the, that little jump start is critical. And like, th- there's no doubt, like. It, everyone is thrilled that Dylan Gabriel's here, but he has to know that. That position at Oklahoma is there's a lot of a lot of weight in that spot, man. There's a lot of eyeballs on you, and the bar is tremendously high. Like there's got to be a part of him like I can't believe I am I dreaming? I just woke up and I'm the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Like 
like all of that has swirled so fastly, you know, like there was probably never a time until like right up until it happened that that ever even crossed his mind. And then boom, Levy gets the OC, Caleb Williams transfers. You're on a plane to Oklahoma and here you are in spring ball, taking the number one snaps. Like that's, that's gotta be wild. But uh, the fact that he's, he's been able to jump in with those guys from day one, have some knowledge of the offense is critical. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. The only thing wilder than that whirlwind form is that helmet he's he's rocking. It's not that bad. It's fine. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. It's great uh, for a quarterback. Yeah. So my second big, big question for our, offensively, at least, it's the offensive line, right? A group that underwhelmed last season. Uh, you lose Marquise Hayes. You lose Tyrese Robinson. And man, I've got questions on questions on questions for the offensive line group. I, I do think that they're excited about Anton Harrison and the possibility of him making a big leap. Uh, we'll see who emerges at right tackle. C- could that be Wanye Morris, uh, Savion Bird? They're going to work him at both. I continue to hear good things about him. Like if he can get, if he can get there mentally in this new offense, think the guy's got the physical tools so that's that's definitely something that i'll i'll be staying on top of throughout spring ball and then hey well where how how does tyler guyton you know the transfer fit in could he be a factor you know you look at him height weight wise what six seven three twenty five like i mean that's a big dude like can he develop the mentality and the technique that Bill Beatonbow is going to want to see him play with. And then you look at the interior and you just got to get better, right? You look at a guy like Chris Murray. I, I think one important thing for Chris is like, he's got to understand his limitations a little better and that can help him play smarter and help him not get himself in bad spots. And, and I think some, some new members of the staff uh, along with B, Bill Beanbow clearly will will help him understand that stuff a little more that just, you know, play more intelligently more of the time, like not putting himself in bad spots, you know, because he's he's not a tall guy. He's not a long armed guy. Like there, there are certain tricks you can, you can utilize when you're shaped the way that he is. And then, you know, you look at Andrew rain, got to get stronger, got to, we, we talk about the quarterbacks getting a, a firm grasp of the offense. Center's got to have a firm grasp of the offense. I mean, he's got to know it inside and out. And the mental component of things, like there are points in time last year. Now he got better as the season went on, but he struggled at times with that. So he's got to really put some work in when at, you know, outside of the allowable hours. Like, hey, like I got to learn this stuff inside and out. And I'm interested to see how that goes. I, I think the, the Matower kid, Matar, Matower, Matar, Matower, I think Matower. We'll go. We're going with Matower. Hearing good things about him, so we'll see if he can, if he can really, you know, earn one of those interior jobs. You know, right guard, left guard, maybe center. Who who knows? But Conjol's still there. My God, how many years in college do you get? But he is. I think he's a he's a solid backup, right? Like he's he's not awful, but he's not. He's not as talented as you want your starter to be, but he's still he's still a valuable piece. And then 
you got a bunch of other guys that really haven't done anything that we'll see if they step up. Like it's, it's now or never for some of these guys. So we'll see, but I am, I am going to be, I'm going to be all over how the O-line is coming along this spring, because I think that that's huge for this football team. Have you, have you heard or talked to Biedenboe or anyone about like, is this system offensive line friendly or like, does it match up with what Bill wants to do with an offensive line? If he had his, you know, if he could just point, point an offense in, in one direction, is, is that, is it something that really jobs with his, his mentality? Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt. It's just, they've had to learn new language. Not only are some of the offensive concepts different, like they're calling positions on defense, different names. So that communication is a little different. And, uh, you know, that just kind of leads to a completely different processing. Right. But as far as the offense, like you, you've got the language part of it and then the tempo part. Right. So that when, when you, when you talk about how tempo affects an offensive line, you have to understand when you hear one word, you have to understand the formation, the snap count, what play you're running, what the defense should be in, what the defense is in. And if it's not what they should be in, what is the defense trying to do to you? And then you have to communicate all your calls before the ball snap. So that's not easy, but that's where they got to get to. Yeah. And really like it's, it's a bunch of straight memorization stuff for the players, right? One word means this one word means that. The entire way of calling everything, right? That's that's what a lot of teams in the NFL are starting to do with, with the way that with the pace that Levy wants to play with, you have to have a quick, like one word call for every play in your playbook. So normally like some teams, whether you're in the NFL or college, like you would have a package of tempo plays with the way that Jeff Levy wants to roll. The entire playbook has, from my understanding, the entire playbook has to have a quick call so that they can use their entire playbook in tempo mode. That's a lot. That's challenging. That's not easy. Like whoever wants to say, oh, well, this offense is super simple. Yes. Are there simplistic principles? Like, is there a lot of carryover and what they want to do in the run game? Yes, but it's like, there's a big mental component to playing in this offense at all positions, not just quarterback, not just tight end. I think quarterback and tight end are the toughest from what I understand. But for all these guys, like you got to think quick, you got to think quick and you got to do it while you're tired. And that's not easy, but that's where they're going to get right And And that's why this spring is so, I mean, it's so vital for the development of this team. Because, you know, that stuff takes reps. Like, you can walk through it as much as you want. You can do it like, but when you're tired and you got pads on and it's practice eight of 15 and you're like, ugh, like, you got it. You got to perform and you got to think quickly. And it's not easy, but that, that's what spring's for. Got to get there. It's a lot. It's a lot. But whenever you can pull it off and pull it off effectively, it's, it's a game changer. There's, there's, 
defensively, whenever someone goes tempo on you, it's a killer. Yeah. My last offensive question, RB2. There's no doubt with what we've been hearing about Eric Gray, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be RB1 for this football team. And I think I'll say this. Just from the conversations I've had, Lebby is going to use him significantly differently than Lincoln Riley did. Going to get that young man the ball in space. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see who will add depth in the running back room behind him. Marcus Major, I'll tell you this, they feel really good about how he fits when it comes to running all the inside zone that Levy likes running in his offense. And it makes a whole lot of sense. And yep. Marcus Major, he had a good winner. Dude is huge. So he looked big last year. Like, yeah. And he's got, he missed like, the early part of the year last year. He, he was hanging out in the weight room. He is, he's thick. And then and we'll see Gavin Sawchuk not there yet, although I think he may be visiting now. I, I, I think I saw that on Twitter. But heard some really good stuff about Javante Barnes. Uh, he, they, they like the juice that the freshmen's got. So we'll see, we'll see who ends up winning that battle for RB2. Like, that's going to be something that goes all the way through spring, all the way through training camp. But I think there's going to be some, there's going to be a really good competition for, for the, for the second running back spot. Well, I can sum it all up and say this, I, quarterback, running back, even some of the wide receiver stuff, like there's, there's going to be some stuff there, but it, it doesn't matter to me if the offensive line isn't there. Like if the offensive line is a really good unit, then it's not going to matter who's playing running back and why, you know what I'm saying? Like we've got, we've got plenty of skill position guys. If the offensive line clicks and plays really well, the offense is going to be incredible. If they struggle, then I, then we're going to struggle offensively. Yep. It's, it's usually that simple in my mind, but we'll see. Yep. All right. What do you, what do you got? Big questions wise defensively. I think the, the biggest question for me is the pass rush. You know, we, we lose so many guys there that were so productive but that's college football, right? You're always losing guys. You're either losing them to the draft or you're losing them to graduation. That's just the nature of it. But it hit us particularly hard. And that's the one thing that really worries me. Now, Redmond has all the tools, but how long have we said that? It's time to, to really start to take off and take ownership of that role. Uh, the edge positions, I think, are are totally up for grabs. and I I really I'm anxious to see who they rotate in and who emerges and are they going to move a couple of guys around like maybe a Guaybu moves up to to play an edge with the link that he has so uh, but I think for me the biggest question mark number one is the pass rush and, and where's it coming from interior perimeter all of it yeah I'm with you and one other guy it, it's time for Reggie Grimes to to turn into more than like just a, oh yeah, you know, he makes some nice plays. Like with his size and length, he needs to, 
he needs to take a step, right? Like he needs to become a productive, a consistently productive guy. And we'll see. Ethan Downs, you know, some of those young guys. Um, it's a big year because, you know, and I could say the same thing about our defense. I, I can talk about like one of the other things I have on here is like what playmakers are going to emerge. You know, uh, we've kind of lost the bulk of our playmakers, but none of it is really going to matter if the D line and the pass rush isn't there, right? It, it doesn't matter how good you can cover. If you can't get to the quarterback, guys are going to finally find themselves open. So pass rush is critical, but you know, point two, the playmakers, we've got to have some guys emerge as big time playmakers linebacker. I feel like inside backer, we've had some good solid play there, but like, where's the game breakers? Where's the guys that are making the big tackles for loss? Um, you know, forcing the turnovers, intercepting passes, we need someone to step up there. And I, I, you can say the same thing in the secondary. Like, we've got some good potential back there, good guys, good athletes, but it has to start turning into big-time plays. Yeah, and that's where Venables is so good at putting those guys, like identifying those guys and then putting them in spots to take advantage of kind of the opposing offense's weaknesses, right? Attacking yep. the weak link in the offensive line or setting up, you know, things formationally or structurally to to get them one-on-ones and things like that. So, yeah, dude, I, I think that's one of the big questions. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't really have this on there but because I feel like it's it's always basically just implied. But, you know, the secondary, it's been – the Achilles heel of our defense for quite some time. Now we've had guys that will flash for a game or two and then fade. And then another guy flashes for a game or two, then fades. Then we move someone over from a different position. They play well, then fade. Just haven't had guys play steady, consistent ball. Turner Yale was that guy, right? And we saw what happened to the secondary. Whenever he wasn't back there, they kind of fell apart. And he's gone now. Like, who who are going to be the guys that can be counted on to communicate, to get lined up, to play good, steady, consistent football? We like we can't afford to have the up and down. You can't give up a seventy-five yard touchdown on the first play of the game, and then have an interception later and feel like you played a good game. Right? That, that's not how it works. It's got to be super steady, super consistent, and. I think that's going to be the big challenge is trying to find those guys that can bring it game in, game out. Yeah, I would love for a couple of guys to emerge where we go, well, we're doing the radio broadcast. We go, there he is again. Like that's yep. that's kind of what we're after here. Yep. Yep. And I, I don't know. I think we've got a lot of, of good, talented football players on this team defensively. Um I development is critical. Development is critical. And I, I, I feel really strong about where we are depth wise. And if the development part comes around, like I think it will, I think we're going to have, uh, and it may take time. It's, you know, it's not just all going to happen overnight, but I think we're going to end up with a, a pretty stacked defense with some good guys that are, have some good depth and have some good, 
like playmakers there on the on the one deep at really all three levels. Yeah. I think we pretty much covered everything. So I don't yeah. know if it, it's it's all a question mark, I suppose. Are we not worried about kicker, I guess? I I mean, I guess. <laughs> we're right? not worried about it until we are worried about we're, it. We're right? not worried about the punting. No. But I guess the kick, yeah, we're we're not worried about the kicking until it becomes an issue, right? That's right. Just just hope that like who's the, the kicker even gonna be? Is it gonna be the pride of McGinnis, Zach Schmidt? I guess. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't asked any questions about the kicking, I won't lie. I won't know who the kicker is until we either kick off to start the season or you know that's that's whenever I'll know. Uh, you want to know my one thing I had written down for biggest questions for defense? What's that? How long till BB takes the defense over? <laughs> I think it's kind of a valid question. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, it was probably after indiv- like halfway through individual drill in practice one. Yeah. Okay, let's get to call your shot. And we we asked you guys exactly what we're talking about. What's your biggest question mark? for for OU in the spring uh, Adam Evans says O-line for Gabe defensive backs and who fills the Isaiah Simmons role if BV is using it for Ted that is I Isaiah Simmons you know I went through all the O-line stuff already but Isaiah Simmons I mean I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure they know who has that potential yet maybe they do but They've only practiced one time. Yeah, that dude was unbelievable. They don't have a guy on their team like that right now. Was he 6'4", you know, 230-some pounds, ran a 4'340", played every single position, corner safety, edge, inside backer. They don't have anyone like that right now, and that's a good thing. They don't have, like, to be able to do that, you have to be immersed in the system for a long time to understand it enough to be able to move positions like that. And right now they, they just, they don't have anyone like there. I don't even think that they would attempt anything like that with anyone on the roster at this moment. Yeah. This maybe next one, year. Yeah. Maybe next year that uh, this other one comes from Chris Peterson. Who's by the way, his handle on Twitter is at ninja pastor seven, seven, seven. Nice. Nice. He says defense got to be the secondary specifically. The safeties been a long time since Turner Yale and Fields weren't back there. And then offense, obvious choices, the QB. But I will say the O-line with Rain take that step as well as the tackles, not as concerned about the guards. And, yeah, Chris, I think we agree, man. I think we agree with you. Those are both both valid concerns. Safety's going to be interesting, man. Safety's going to be interesting. Key Lawrence playing safety. We're going to lose a lot of experience back there. So that's going to be this spring, buddy. Whoo, boy. And B Hall is going to have his hands full. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Brent Venable's defense puts, puts a lot on safeties. It's pretty yep. complicated back there. I'm, I'm sure I'll have to. I, I can't wait to detail it and see what all they're doing, but tons of quarter, quarter, half, tons of rotation, ton, tons of changing the rotation on motion and, and alignment. Yeah, it's a lot. 
and he wants you to not show what you're doing ever. Right. Which makes everything even more difficult. Yep. Good luck, guys. <laughs> All right, birthday shout-outs. Ooh, Ted. They have what piled up. What a list. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Happy fifth birthday to Mariana Raincrow. Happy eighth birthday to Huck Gregory. Happy 10th birthday to Aliana Raincrow. Happy 13th birthday to Matthew Wilkerson. Happy 13th birthday to <laughs> Skylar West. Happy 16th birthday to Zoe Heiberger. Happy 21st birthday to Kobe George. Happy 22nd birthday to Trey Carter. Happy 29th birthday and congrats on finishing residency wow. to Dr. Christopher Cole Benson. Wow. Happy 30th birthday to Bub Squirt Ballard. Happy 30th birthday to Michael Yacovoni. Happy 32nd birthday to Lindsay Benson. Happy 39th birthday to Matt Jones. Got an easy one. Nice. Matt Jones. That a boy, Matt. <laughs> Happy 40th birthday to Matt Tandy. Happy 40th birthday to Carter Jennings. Happy upcoming 41st birthday to Joe Coleman. Happy 90th birthday to Murray Cohen. Happy birthday to Robin Musto. Happy birthday to the Compellabies. Compellabies. Your people. That's that's a four Gibson folks right there. I didn't see that. Justin and Cecil Capelleby, good guys. I I believe one was like your little league baseball coach. Football. Football. Yep. Yeah, I got the email. I probably that's should have awesome. given you them, but I just Cecil Capelleby was my first linebacker coach. Used to give me the sign from the sideline. This is the blitz. Loved it. It was awesome. Happy birthday, Cecil and Justin. Happy birthday to Melanie Morrow. Happy birthday to Tina Hopper. Happy birthday to the Marsh Brothers, Dylan and JD. Happy birthday to Colby Kaltenbacher. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed I it. I, I felt good about that one. That felt it's Kaltenbacher or Kaltenbacher. It's either way. I think you nailed it. First shot. Congrats to the Carter family on the birth of Kyson Amadeus Carter. Wow. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to. Oh, no. Help there's, me out, Gabe. There's Spanish in this one. Happy birthday to Ciudad Acuna, Mexico's Ciudad. biggest Sooner fan, Adriana Ipolito. I think wow. I did that right. That's pretty good. I, See, I, I completely I, messed that up, I'm sure. I didn't, I didn't read ahead. That, that got me. That one got yeah. me. All right, let's talk to Dalen Cuff about, dang it, his name's Dallin. I, we just talked to him about it, and I said, I was like, dude, I'm going to mess up your name, spell it differently. Dallin Cuff, but first, attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Yeah, you do. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. 
best in class businesses win by avoiding loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Guys, the weather's getting warmer, but does the weather really matter? Because it's always hard seltzer season, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Sonic Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it in the hot tub, by the fire, and at the tailgate. You can buy 12 packs of the iconic Sonic drive-in flavors like Cherry Limeade and Ocean Water, or you can grab a citrus variety pack or a tropical variety pack. Find it at your local grocery convenience and liquor stores all right let's talk some sweet 16 with dallin cuff it is our pleasure to be joined by a college basketball analyst for espn you can also hear him all over sirius xm radio and you know let's let's be honest he's an ivy league grad so he's he's real smart and he's about to talk to two dumb football players dallin cuff is in the house what's going on man Oh, it was good to be on with you. I appreciate the intro. I could shoot it a little bit, so let me go to that school. That's the only reason you, you have the term Ivy League in front of it. Didn't belong there. I think we're bearing the lead, though. Fellas, we're wearing the same shirt here? What the hell's going on? What's happening here? There, there's not Beauty. a lot of pre-show communication, right? What is so, Oklahoma Breakdown? What does that mean? That, that's the name of the podcast you're on. I didn't tell okay, you the there name of the podcast, so <laughs> welcome. Uh, and we have some merch. You can get it at opolisclothing.com. Yeah. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were about to say, I can send you some merch. You want me to buy it? I, I don't can, think that's going to happen. I'd prefer you buy it, but I could, <laughs> I could send you something if you really want me to. We're but, good, yeah, man. Maybe I'll look into some out. gifts for some people. The best part is this is going to be like in the middle of the episode. So everyone's already going to know that we're wearing the same shirt or maybe <laughs> oh. I'll change. Maybe I'll change for the rest of it. I will change for the rest of it. And this will be a nice treat for Sweet. everyone to see us uh, do the interview. All right, man. Sweet 16. I mean, you've been, you've been working extremely hard covering this tournament you've worked extremely hard all year a lot of people that listen to this podcast have seen your face you know doing a lot all the studio stuff and the analyst stuff you do for espn but let's get right into it and thursday thursday's slate is fantastic Mm -hmm. let's start with arkansas gonzaga can they score with gonzaga can can jd note just can he go off and keep it close like it is this is this a dangerous spot for the Zags? What do you think? Yeah, Arkansas is a good team. I mean, let's say this: so JD Note's got to be able to stay in a game. Like he can't be picking up early fouls again. Like he's he's not logged a lot of minutes in a tournament. They need him to be in games because he's one of the best scorers uh, in the SEC. Definitely one of the best scorers left in the tournament for sure. But he's got to be on the floor. Um, what Arkansas doesn't get anything left credit for, and Coach Musselman has done a great job. They defend really well. They're first in the SEC in defensive efficiency in league play. So let's take away their non-league slate, which wasn't very good. In league play, they were the best team in terms of defensive efficiency. In a league that plays up and down, has a lot of high-powered offenses, they did a good job of disrupting some teams, taking out what you would want to do. They defend defensively rebound well. Um, and I do think with Gonzaga, what, what they struggle with is when you can challenge them, when you can be physical with them, when you can make them feel you. Um, and we saw Memphis do that to some extent in the first half. It took Gonzaga to go to the break and kind of reset, and come out and establish Timmy inside. He kind of took control there. And they were able to match the physicality, essentially. Arkansas is going to present a lot of the same challenges with athletic wings. Uh, and Devo Davis is playing a really, really high level and defensively make it a little bit harder for those guys. And I do think this is a game where both teams play at a top 40 tempo. I wonder if Eric Musselman at times 
We'll say, hey, we're not scared of anybody. But if we're going to walk one up, maybe walk one up every now and again. Like, we don't need to sprint up and down the court every single time. I would like to think they may do that at times, just be, be selective in how they maybe shift down and shift back up. Um, but ultimately, it's a game that Arkansas can compete. I was, I'm still so, I'm not surprised because the, the line's nine and a half. In some places, it's ten, guys. That's a lot of points to lay against an SEC opponent. And an SEC opponent that won, what, 15 out of 18 games down the stretch? Like, this, isn't, this is not going back to play in San Diego. You're not playing Portland. And I'm not you know, poo-pooing the West Coast Conference. I'm always saying there are some quality teams there. But 10 points seems like a lot. They could cover, but I'm just, I, I think that Arkansas is going to keep this thing closer, high-level coaching, high-level players, and what I think will be a high-level fun game. Is there any, and I know every year is a, a new year and everything, but is there pressure mounting for Gonzaga? Like, like this is the team, this is the moment, this is the year that they break through. Do you think that pressure is building up within that team? I, I don't think so. I think Mark Fayfew does a phenomenal job of keeping it loose, in all honesty. Teddy, they win all the time. Like they, this, this, they've been at two national championship games in the last five tournaments. Like this is, they've won more tournament games than anybody in the last 10 years. And I think people like to say, like what I just said about, oh, they play in the WCC, they don't play anybody. They play everybody you can play in the non-conference. And then when it matters in the tournament, they've won more games than anybody else. So that, that argument's gone to bed. I do think that Mark Few takes, a, does, takes great pride in saying, we're going to roll our team out here every year is this year. And I don't feel like they feel that same level of thing compounded. I do think as this team though, they want to win a title. And I think inherently there's some pressure on them that way, but I don't think there's anything compounded from years past or compounded from last year's team. I think experiences of last year's team help. I mean, a number of these guys were on that floor, whether it be Nemhard or, or Timmy, that were, there were key players on that team that lost last year. And there's a lot of guys in the new roles. Julian Strother's not been in this role before, on this stage before, obviously Chet Holmgren. So how those guys continue to perform when these lights are brightest is important, but I don't think there's any outsized pressure. And it's partially because of how few runs his program there may be no more lax guy in terms of just like having a good vibe outstanding coach but that's part of his thing is we're going to play we're going to have fun we're going to go out there and we're going to do what we talked about but we're not going to press it we're not going to stress it we're going to go hoop i like it sounds like you like gonzaga though in that one right i think they win the game but i'm taking arkansas on the points guys i mean i chased a lot of points on sunday and it helped out and saturday was less effective but i do think this tournament like Points are good. Doing it less effective, guys. My first, my first day that Thursday was a bloodbath. Was just an absolute massacre. I don't think I've had a day that bad all season. And it was when the again when the lights are brightest, your boy just gets destroyed, just destroyed. Dallin is he is he's Ivy League educated, but man, he likes to scratch that betting itch. Ted, uh, <laughs> I got nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, no, wrong, there's nothing with that. wrong with that at all. I like it. I like. It. Okay, next game on the Thursday slate, you got Michigan Villanova. A really interesting game, right? Feels like Michigan will have a bit of a size advantage, but that can honestly work against them with the guard play from Nova. Like, how do you see that one going? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because both teams, like Villanova loves to play slow. Uh, they're one of the slowest teams in the country in terms of their pace. Um, Michigan plays, I think, bottom two, uh, bottom 150 or so. They don't play fast, but they want to play through Hunter Dickinson, without a doubt. They're seven foot one sophomore. And, and within that, sometimes you got you got to slow down. They got to they enter the ball well. It's a real basic thing. But it's a young team at Michigan that has struggled at times simply to enter him the ball at the time and the place where he can be most effective. And at times where he, when they don't get it to him at the right time, he starts to step out. When he catches it 12 or 13 feet off the block, you've, you've won. You've won the battle. Like, off the, away from the hoop, you've won. You've done, it. you've done your job as a big man and as a guard pressuring the ball. So they've got to do a better job and a focused job of entering the ball into the, into the post, playing inside out, getting him deep post touches, and taking advantage of the size advantage they have. 
On the other end, yes, he's going to get run around a lot, and he's got to be able to guard. Not that Eric Dixon's going to be knocking down threes or anything. The big that you'll see at times, most of the game, he, he still has to be fleet of foot, help on some screams, help on some drives. And the, the thing that's big in this is Villanova's experience and their culture. They know exactly how they're going to play, how they win. Michigan's still a very young team. And for them to play in this spot and to, and to, to play with great poise and not to take bad shots at times and to play and continue to do what they want to do on the offensive side of the ball is going to be tough. It's a five-point line. Um, I think it could be really tight just because of how Villanova plays. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a game Villanova wins uh, in a fashion in which I'd be, I would be surprised. This is probably the game if, if Michigan won, this would be the game I'd be most shocked. I'd be less shocked if Arkansas beat Gonzaga than if Michigan beat Villanova. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, like the culture and everything, the experience at, at Villanova. What do you think just overall what Juwan Howard has done there at Michigan? Because it looked like, uh, frankly, down the stretch there that maybe it was coming coming unglued a little bit, obviously, with, with the incident that took place. But overall, does he have Michigan headed in the right direction? 100%. And that was a, that was a massive mistake in judgment. Um, and, I, I, like, we've all made mistakes. I'm not the moral arbiter here to sit here and tell here, here's how you should be doing things, and I'm always fine. Those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And he made a stupid mistake, and he paid the price for that, did his penalty for it. Um, didn't look good for the school. I do think given his history with Turgeon last year in the big 10 tournament, I'm sure ward manual, maybe the AD said, Hey, that's word strike three policy here. You're not doing nothing like this can happen again. But outside of that on the court, he's done really well in three straight sweet 16s. Uh, this year's team is very, again, like I said, it's a young team and still achieving that. Um, when most people didn't think they would get there, I, I was surprised. I mean, I was, sh- I was shocked that they beat Tennessee. And very honestly, I, Tennessee was playing one of the best te- like playing with one of the best teams in the country. They had great guard play. Um, they couldn't make shots partially because Michigan and partially because they didn't make shots, but Michigan also took advantage of every opportunity they had to consider it a monster day. Um, so Juwan's done a phenomenal job. It's just the, it's the off the court issue or issues that he's had is the bigger problem, but what he's done in terms of wins recruiting, their recruiting class next year is great. Like they're, they're, they're going to be back to where he anticipates they could be or where they should say where their fan base wants to be, which is competing for final fours in short order. Yeah. That that game's going to be really interesting, but the the third game on Thursday is my favorite game of the entire slate when it comes to the Sweet 16. Texas Tech and Duke, and you you look at you look at the two rosters. Duke's got more pros. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech's got a bunch of old dudes, mm-hmm. though. And Dallin, I. I look at it and I wonder, like, does it come down to how the game is officiated? Like, what mm-hmm. what Texas Tech's allowed to get away with with the way that they play defense under Mark Adams? Like, how important do you think that will be? Huge. I, I can't be understated. I've talked about it since before the tournament started. Now, I picked Texas Tech to win this region in the plus 550 to be not the Duke, but Gonzaga. There was a good price on that, but I also was banking on the fact that, to your question, they were going to officiate this tournament like they officiated the regular season. And the Big 12 and the Big 10 in particular, you could get away with just about anything. You could assault somebody, and it may not be a foul. But it was just, it was wild in that in both those leagues this year. Across the country, it wasn't always like that. But by and large, the numbers of fouls were down. We were allowing freedom of movement rules have kind of gone out the window. Um, and this tournament's been officiated like that. So if this game, which I assume would be a continuation of that, yes, these grown men that are 22 to 24 years old are going to make Duke feel them on every possession. Duke's high, they're number one team in the nation in adjusted defensive efficiency per Ken Pomeroy, Texas Tech is. The highest rated team Duke had played previously in the ACC in the lessons January is UNC at 42. And now UNC, if anybody's watched UNC play, 
There are times, let's just say resistance is not exactly high on their list of priorities at times. Like you can pretty much get anywhere you wanted. They don't turn you over. They don't have that physical with you. They try to make you take incessant shots. That's not necessarily what Texas Tech's doing. Texas Tech tries to disrupt you, keep you on one side of the floor, not let you reverse the ball, take away what you want to do well, and yes, be physical with you. This is a bunch of 18 and 19-year-old kids for Duke, primarily. They're key players. Not a single player before this tournament had played in an NCAA tournament game that played major minutes. Whereas Texas Tech has 22 to 24-year-olds, guys, whether it's Kevin O'Banner that played a role Roberts last year in the Sweet 16 or other dudes that have played um, in NCAA tournament runs, know what it's about. And I know Mark Adams, the new coach, he's done a phenomenal job. I just think that Duke's going to see something today that they have not tomorrow that they've not seen previously in terms of the defensive side of the ball. But the great equalizer at times is talent. If you picked any gym in the, in the country and just rolled the ball out there with Duke starting five, they probably beat almost everybody starting five. But when you add in coaches, execution, like coaches, scouting, execution, late game pressure, which is going to be a lot when it could be Coach K's last game, and, of course, the officials, the game is very different. So in that regard, I favor Texas Tech. Last thing I will say is Vegas favors Texas Tech, which was shocking to me because the, what you want to do as Vegas is get money evenly based on each side. So you're not taking a bath on any, either bet. That said, Duke's brand name carries like two or three points. So that, that alone is saying they think Duke, Duke, Texas Tech arguably should win by three or four points if they're only giving them a point, which I think is really interesting. Um, I thought that Duke would be the favorite just based on the brand alone, but they're not. And I think that's probably the right way to go by Vegas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And styles make fights, right? Mm-hmm. And and you talked about the the defensive efficiency and stuff that, that Duke just hasn't faced anyone like Texas Tech, especially for a young guy. Now, I I think it does help that they're playing him whenever you or playing Tech whenever you get you know the couple days in between there instead mm-hmm. of the quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. But how how easy is it or difficult for a guy to like whenever you face a defense that is like up on you, kind of choking you out. How hard is it to adjust to that? Is that something that you can do within the, the frame of a game, or is, is that going to be too difficult? It, you have to. There's no, there's, no, there's no other choice because you can't, they can't simulate what they do in practice. You can simulate it like in terms of trying to keep guys on the side. Here's how they're going to guard ball screens. Here's how they're going to guard the, how they're going to guard things. The actual personnel, the physicality, and the mentality cannot be replicated in practice. But, Teddy, you are right. Having some days to talk through things and really work on things does help you maybe go to the game with a little more confidence. But when you're in there and you first get punched, you're going to have to figure out how to adjust. And the biggest thing that goes on with teams that play this way that are like that are relentless on the defensive side of the ball, it's not just the physical toll. It is the mental toll. At times, you're like, God, here we go again. And especially if you go through a run where you can't get a good shot or you can't get a good play or they're deflecting a bunch of passes or taking out your rhythm, it can just be a little mentally exhausting and frustrating. So that with a young team, the times they haven't had that collective voice to come in and say, yo, here's what we got to do. Here's how it's got to be and kind of grab everybody together. And you don't have that. You can start to kind of float through those struggling phases. And they really don't have time in a 40 minute game with everything on the line to, to go through those, those long stretches. So it'll be really leadership will be important. Obviously coach K's voice is important, but it's mostly important coming from the players. And I do think we did learn something about them guys. When they were down five to Michigan state, I was sitting there by myself. I said, I think this is over. I think this is, I think it's a wrap. Then coach K is done here because we hadn't seen it all year. UVA at home, they had a lead and fell apart. 
Uh, Florida State on the road, they fell apart doing Duke. Miami at home, they fell apart. These are all games where they were up late um, and they collapsed down the stretch. This is different. They were down, they bounced back. So they may be able to draw on that experience a little bit and that maturation process because every game with this team has been important. So, uh, but ultimately, I do think Texas Tech is going to be too much. This should be a great game, though. I do think it's a one possession, highly interesting, highly entertaining uh, game from multiple perspectives. Yeah. Can't wait. Cannot wait for that game. Okay. Last one on Thursday. Got Houston. In Arizona, which I think is a really interesting matchup. You got Benedict Matherin, who is maybe the most entertaining player to watch in the entire tournament. But can Arizona handle the physicality, right? I mean, that that is mm-hmm. the whole mentality that that Kelvin Sampson brings. Uh, any Kelvin Sampson team, and we we know it well, right? You know, used to being the uh, the coach at Oklahoma. So I. I don't really have a read on this game, man. Like, how how do you think this is? Because I know, I I feel like Arizona's more talented, but the toughness factor for Houston, I don't know, makes me a little, little less sure. Hey, I'm right there with you, man. And I took, I took Arizona back in January, 15 to one futures bet. I would been on them all year. Um, I think they're the most talented team offensively and defensively, the most defensive versatility and not, they're not tough, but Houston's just really freaking tough. And that's, that, that's exactly what they're about. And if they had Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark, their two leading scorers, their national championship good. Now, we kind of thought that in December. You would, we would know it now. So it's unfortunate they're playing that with, without those two guys, but they've learned to adjust without it. And they've destroyed teams in the American. They've destroyed teams at times because they said, hey, we're just going to out-tough you. We're going to out-physical you. They did it to Illinois the other day. We saw Houston, I mean, Arizona almost have it done to them by TCU. Um, and, we, and then you guys obviously know TCU is a, is a good team, a well-coached team, uh, which Amy Dixon in the Big 12 – so it's a, it's a very difficult game to have a read on. I do think Houston, without a doubt, can win this game. Uh, the pace piece is going to be important. Houston plays one of the slowest teams in the country. Arizona, one of the fastest. So it's easier to slow a team down than speed a team up. So if Houston makes it a half-court game, if they get extra possessions by offensive rebounds, and if Jamal Shedd has a good game offensively, um, Arizona can be in a real, lot of trouble. Arizona has to, make, has to make shots. That sounds simple, but you've got to be able to make some shots to offset some of the, some of the challenges you're going to face from the Houston defense. So overall, I mean, it's a one-and-a-half-point line. Arizona's a favorite. I do think it's kind of a coin flip game. Um, the over-under is 145. He could get an over here because I do think Houston's going to have a, a number of additional opportunities to score the basketball in the offensive glass. Um, and, but I think it'll be a, uh, another – like, this is – it's a compelling game. And I think it's a game that if Houston wins, they could find themselves in a Final Four. They could find themselves in the National Championship game because I do think they match up really well, whether it's Villanova or Michigan. I would, I would rather have Houston in that game. And if it's Houston-KU – KU's had some problems with some teams from a, from a physicality standpoint. Uh, obviously, saw enough of it at the Big 12. Defensively, they've been a little bit better. But, I mean, Houston could find themselves in the national championship game if they win this game. This is their hardest opponent. It feels like with the Thursday games, maybe not so much the Arkansas-Gonzaga game, but the other three, that officiating style is going to play heavily into the outcome of the game. Like, Do you – does it typically work to where it's pretty consistent all the way through so you can expect uh, a game to be able to be played more physically? Or is that something that's like literally game to game, week by week in the tournament? Usually you see the tournament kind of early on the games kind of set the tone. And I'll tell you what set the tone was Wyoming and Indiana was a bloodbath at times. And that set the tone. They're like, okay, they're going to let this stuff go. And we saw that for most of the tournament. Arkansas actually played in one of the few games that was tightly called. Arkansas-Vermont game was really tightly called. That's why J.D. Note was, was on the bench right away. Um, but by and large, 
you'll see it kind of, I think, continue to be the same way. I think you kind of set the tone and you see a lot of times, guys, here's how it works, is the officials want to move on too. They want to get to the next round. Well, you're graded out to get to the next round. And if by the letter of the law, if all the officiate, the supervisors were all officiating by the letter of the law, you wouldn't move anybody forward because we're letting so much clutching and grabbing and so many files go that you would be hard to move forward. But now that that's been set, that we're just kind of going to do what we did all year. Now it is about getting the big calls right, the block charge right here, the review here. So they're kind of just, they're in the mode of what, how they're calling the game is kind of how they're calling the game. Now, certain games can get out of hand. Certain games can be called tighter, but I think by and large, you see that you see a trend in these tournaments and it, it, it kind of sets its pace early on. Um, like that Baylor UNC game was just bonkers. Like once a game gets out of hand, the refs try to grab it back. And then there's a lot of whistles and a lot of calls. That's, that seems like more the aberration here than and in, and in most tournaments than these, than, than these games right now. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but everyone's pleased with the officiating. So it's, it's fine. It's hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Okay. Looking at the Friday slate of the sweet 16, uh, less sexy, I would say, but the first game Friday, it's got the best story of the tournament, right? The St. Peter's Peacocks. I'm not sure it's going to go well for him against Purdue, but it, 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 no matter how it goes, it's an awesome story, right? I mean, it's yeah. an awesome story. It's an awesome story. And I, I, before we get into the game, I do want to say that in that game against Murray State, the Kentucky game was impressive enough. But the game against Murray State, the second half, the last 10 minutes, Murray State's changing up defenses. They're going 1-3-1, 2-3, man-to-man. And, of course, on Twitter, people are talking about how great Shaheen Holloway is out of timeouts. They ran a couple good actions out of timeouts for buckets. That's good coaching. Great coaching is having your team prepared for when they switch defenses. There is no delay. You're not on your heels. A lot of teams do. You're not struggling to diagnose. There was like an immediate connection. They, the players, the guards diagnosed what was that, what they were in. They knew what to run and they got right in it. And if there was a one, three, one, they were attacking on the baseline in the short corners. It's a two, three. They were trying to get in the high post with guys flashing. If it was man. They were running their stuff. They knew it right away. They executed right away. And conversely, when they did it to Murray state, Murray state was on their heels. That's great coaching. That's understanding how to get your guys to know exactly where to go, where to be, and how to execute. And then defensively calling out the right sets on that on the defensive side of the ball to throw off your opponent. So I thought Gene Holloway did a great job. He will be the next coach at Seton Hall. I'll be shocked if he's not, given how great a player he was there and what he's done in this tournament, what he's shown with this St. Peter's team. All that said, Purdue is a seven foot four dude in Zach Eady. And Trivia <laughs> Williams, six foot ten, two eighty is the best passing big in the country. As a mid-major team, you ain't got that. I don't sure you can game plan against that. I don't know what they're going to do with that. And, okay, I left out Jaden Ivey, who's, you know, a top three pick. So they got a lot. Yeah, he good. So I, I just don't, I, I don't see what they're doing to win this game. The real question for me is can they keep it within 12 and a half points? I don't think that's the case either. So, I mean, it, it's, I think it's just I struggle to see how they match up, but I will they'll play hard. That's for sure. Purdue got a chance to win the whole thing? Their defense is just so lackluster all year that they need to outscore you. Um, I do think when you look at their bracket now with UNC and UCLA, those both would be solid matchups. They I mean they trounced UNC early in the year, but that UNC team was a little different. Um, but that, I think it's still a bad matchup for UNC, given they want to play through Armando Baycott and he has significant size against him. He can struggle. And then if you look at the top half of the bracket, though, that's the difference. Who comes out of that Gonzaga Texas Tech game? In my opinion, as I just said, Texas Tech's going to be Duke. Um, I think it's still a problem for, for Purdue because Purdue's going to have to guard on one side of the ball, and I'm not sure they really do that well enough. That said, they have unique players, and they have an absolute stud, so, and they have one of the best shooting teams in the country. So offensively, they are fully elite, but are you going to get enough stops to win, the, to win all these games? I would say no. They, it's possible. I just wouldn't you know, pull my money out. Okay, second game of Friday, Providence in Kansas. 
Man, Kansas is looking the part yeah. right now. But Ed Cooley, hell of a year with the Friars. A lot of people want to say they're just lucky and they're not that good, but they've won a lot of games <laughs> with that luck, Dallas. So what, what, what do you think? Because it, it feels like Kansas can go win it all with the way they that can. they're playing. Yeah, they can. I mean, Ed Cooley's had a great year. They're 11-2 and two in games decided by five points or less. That's not lucky to me. That's, that's, that's experience. And that's good players and know how to win games. Uh, and sometimes the ball bounces your way, but by, by and large, you got to kind of make your own luck. And they do that. Um, that said, Kansas is a better team. And they've been much better defensively in the last three weeks, which is, which is where this team had struggles, some bad habits, some lapses. And sometimes they just thought, hey, we'll get it out of the net. We'll go score because they were there in a lead offensive team. They've started to lock down defense a little more. I, I think Providence is going to struggle to generate enough offense to win this game. And I think Kansas is capable, without a doubt, of cutting down the nets. And I do think what happened at the bottom of the bracket with Miami and Ohio, Iowa State helps them. Miami could be an interesting match if Miami wins, to be very honest with you. I think they'd probably rather have an Iowa State team they've played twice this year um, than play a Miami team that has guards and, and can spread you out and stretch you out. Um, but overall, Kansas is definitely capable of winning not just this game, but all, you know, four more. UNC, UCLA. Um... Our man Brady Manick gets tossed out of the game, but he's been red hot lately, and that team's playing with some attitude. The way they closed out the regular season and then the uh, the tournament, obviously, and then here winning the first couple of rounds, that team's – they've got some momentum right now. 100%, yeah. I mean, they, they are – they're defending better. They are – the intangible piece is important. When they won a Cameron, it was the first time this year where they got popped, they actually punched back. Whether it was Purdue earlier in the year, Tennessee – Miami, Wake Forest, Duke the first time. Like, they got smacked, and they never, they never hit back. Well, they were down nine at the end of the first half of that game. They cut it to two, and they came out and they blew Duke away in, in a game that, that was literally historic. What was, it was truly impressive. Against Baylor, that went to overtime, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like, that's a wrap. Baylor's winning this game. This is over. Not only winning, they're going to take me to Cover City. We're going to win by six or more. Like, I felt great. And, and you're and, the mayor of Cover City. Oh, God, I, I was not the mayor of Cover City, like I said on Thursday. I'll tell you that much. Um, but... Dante Styles hits a three to start off the half, start off the OT, and they just got they 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 had a little more belief, some toughness, some togetherness, some leadership, and they suffered a lot of adversity. Brady Manick has been out of control good the last couple of weeks shooting the ball. And I do think against UCLA Jaime Hakez, his injury is going to be important. If he can play or not, it's really critical. UCLA, UCLA does a bunch of guys that can spread the floor, create for themselves, create for their teammates. When they really share the ball with each other, they're a very, very high-level offensive team that's tough to stop. UNC, similar. They've got a lot of guys, a lot of talent, not depth. They've got a lot of talent on that starting five that can really score. So I think it's going to be a highly entertaining game, a, high, a pretty high-scoring game, uh, but a game that, honestly, either team can win. I think it's kind of a coin-flip game. If Hakez plays, I would give the, the uh, benefit of the doubt to UCLA. If he, if he doesn't or is not at 100%, it, it could be an equalizer. How, uh, also, how Cody Riley or and or Miles Johnson guards Armando Baycott in the post is going to be critical, too. If Baycock and Feast, then that North Carolina team can be different. Maybe the most important part in that game, or most important factor, it's going to be a hell of a jersey matchup. Oh, oh beautiful. Beautiful. It's going to be aesthetically pleasing. Can't wait. <laughs> hey, what, when, it, when it comes to Mick Cronin, I feel like he's, he's earned a reputation of being one hell of a game planner and, and a guy that's really good with his his adjustments in game. Like, how much do you think coaching matter? Not not trying to say Hubert Davis doesn't know what he's doing. That's not what I'm mm -hmm. trying to say. But do you think that that UCLA could have a coaching advantage in that game? Um, I, I mean, to some extent. I mean, it, some of it's just about you're right. The adjustments of changing how things go. 
But I, I don't think Hubert Hubert's done a great job this year. It's not about his inability. Sometimes I think it's a lot of times his players have not organically played and led and wanted to win the way you guys know you have to want to win a game in any competition. You've got to want it from the players. Got to come from you. There's got to be belief. There's got to be a toughness. He can't instill that in him. Now he can call the right plays. He can get RJ in the ball screens. He can do those different things. But some of the intangible stuff he can't bring out. And I don't think that's, I don't necessarily think there's a coaching advantage here. There's an experience advantage, obviously. Nick's been in a couple more of these situations. This team, mind you, did go to the Final Four. The whole team's intact with a couple additions. So they, they do have experience. I do think that can matter sometimes in these tight games. Um, but overall, yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. Iowa State, Miami, it's another another style matchup. You mentioned uh, Miami earlier and how good they are. Iowa State, another Big 12 team that plays that that tough defense. How do you see this mm-hmm. one going? Uh, I think it's going to be an under, a 133 and a half. I think it's going to be a bit <laughs> of a rock fight. Uh, Iowa State is one of the better defensive teams in the country. We know, you guys know, they can be offensively limited at times, to say the least. I mean, multiple games in the last couple weeks that didn't break 50 points, 136 performance in there. At home. Um, at home, yeah, that was that was a sh- that was literally shocking. I'll say that was that was shocking. Um, but they can play. Don't get me wrong. And if, if Brockington's hot, I mean, they they make some tough shots and they can they can beat Miami. The problem with Miami again, Miami hasn't really necessarily seen a team like Iowa State defensively. How do you adjust to that early on? That said, they do have a lot of playmakers. Man, they got four guards that can put the ball on the deck and create. Sam Wardenberg is a a stretch five that's knocking down threes at a really confident clip right now. At times, he can even shot fake and play make. Uh, off the bounce as well. So he, they present a lot of challenges. I do think that'll be a, uh, again, a styles makes fights kind of, kind of matchup. And really the question is, can Iowa state just score enough? Can they make enough baskets to, to beat Miami? I ultimately don't think they do. I think Miami advances and it won't be a tight game. All right. We've gone through all the sweet 16 games. We'll, we'll make it easy on you. Who you got going to the final four? Well, I'm just going to keep riding this Arizona train. I've got 15 to one, so I'm just going to keep you know pounding away at that. So Arizona, Arizona comes out of that region, and I think their toughest game will be this Houston game, uh, Kansas, uh, Texas Tech, and at the bottom there, um, I guess I'm going to say Purdue. And partially why I say Purdue is because I like the I think feel so confident they're going to win this game, but then it's picking really one game to win versus the two, which I'm looking at the other teams in UCLA and UNC. I think is more of a coin flip. So. Uh, that, that was three of my four from the very beginning, Texas tech, Arizona and, uh, and Kansas. So I'm sticking with that. And then I had Kentucky, which of course didn't work out too well. Uh, but I will replace that with Purdue and we'll see how that goes. I have Arizona cutting down the nets. I'm guessing you you like that, uh, tech Purdue, uh, matchup with tech then, right? I haven't really thought about it enough because I do, I wonder how they would, how they would handle the post situation with Edie and Williams. Um, I wouldn't think they would double, but they might have to double. And if you double, then that's where you're, that's where you're in trouble with allowing Purdue to make threes. The bigger thing you could say is, okay, we're going to try to keep it on one side. We're going to pressure the heck out of the ball. Cause they don't have a lot outside of Ivy. They don't have a lot of guys can beat you off the bounce when they have the athletes and the length to pressure the hell out of the ball to not, to make it hard to get into the post. That may be the way to go. And they'll see if they can, if they get post touches, how to play out of that. Um, we have seen other teams have success. Michigan state did this too early in the year. They just said, we're not going to help. We're just going to stay home on all shooters and try to beat us. Go ahead. Have Edie beat us and have Travion beat us. Well, Edie, I think that game at 25 and Travion at 18, but Michigan State won. So they took their lumps inside, but they took away the three-point line. They were one for nine from three and said, if you can beat us with twos, what, have at it. Texas Tech may go something similar. I don't know if we see that matchup, but I, I think anybody that plays Purdue, it's how, you, how you're dealing with them is what is interesting. And it's different when you're in Big Ten play, when you're, you're used to seeing them, you scout them a bunch of times. It's different when you play it out, outside of conference. It's the first time you've seen them, and it's a must-win game. 
and it's a 40 minutes is all you got. That's, that's hard to do. I feel smarter that, that Columbia degree you're, <laughs> you're putting it to work, man. Well, that, well done. I feel very basketball educated right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, there's not a single thing I learned here that was being taught at Columbia university and thanks any classroom. So that's okay. It was just in the gym and that's about all I got because in the classroom, <laughs> They sure as hell did. They, there was a lot of looking down your nose and anybody that was, you know, smashing helmets or shooting jump shots. You didn't belong here. You didn't belong here. So a little different. Well, now they're all looking at you on ESPN. So who's laughing now? People at Columbia. <laughs> I think they're watching the UN and presidents and stuff. I don't know if they're watching ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> Dallin, you're the man. Uh, thanks for the time. And that, that, that was awesome, dude. And best of luck on all your bets. I, Thank you, I hope it goes well. Oklahoma breakdown. Let's go. See ya. You're the man. That guy's smart. Smart human. Yeah, he... <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about basketball. It's, it's pretty clear. It's it's clear. I, That's fine. That's why we had him on. Excellent I, stuff. I wonder how many people are going to listen to him and be like, you know what? I'm just going to go a bet. Go ahead and bet everything he's he told me to bet. He made me feel good about Texas Tech, though. I've got Texas Tech winning the whole thing, and uh, he's 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 making me feel good about that pick right now. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses, there are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join, and as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store, and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from the blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcone Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen, and became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcone's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but yes, the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, Visit balconiesdistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, I don't know if it's the winner of the week because it's been so long since we came on, but I think this move has a chance to be like a groundbreaker in the NFL. Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. I think that move is fantastic. Sucks for Seattle, but Denver... Like he's going to instantly change that entire football team. Winning, uh, winning mentality. We've talked before about what it does to a locker room, and all of a sudden the team feels like they got a chance to go win a Super Bowl or compete. You're going to get so much more buy-in 
some of your draft picks that you've had offensively are going to click better. I think that move is awesome. And I, that division, buddy, it is brutal. And the quarterback play in that division is unreal. That's going to be awesome to watch. We we talked about this when Tom Brady signed with the Bucks, right? And people may not understand this, but with you know how many teams you and I both played for in the NFL, there is a completely different mentality inside a building when you have an elite quarterback. The, you just believe you can win. When you have a quarterback that sucks, there's Everyone's mercenary. It's every man for himself. It you are looking out for yourself. Like, hey, do my job. Like there is, there's not the same energy in the building. And that matters. It matters a lot. And you're right, man. Denver. I was there when they had bad quarterbacks. And uh, I mean, Trevor Simeon and Brock Osweiler, those guys were my boys. They're awesome guys. But you walked into the building and you're like, huh? Walking into the building in Denver with Russell Wilson being your quarterback, that, that makes the entire football team, it makes the entire coaching staff, it makes everyone involved, the equipment guys, the trainers, like, it makes everyone believe. Do not underestimate the power of that. Yep. It makes a huge difference. It does. You're going to get way better play at quarterback, but you're going to get way better play at every other position because the guys feel like they got a chance to go win something. Yeah, it's so, going to be I, it's going to be very similar. Now, I'm not saying that Denver's going to win the Super Bowl, but it's very similar to the effect and you've heard players talk about it. Like the effect that Tom Brady had in Tampa Bay where it was like he walks in the door and all of a sudden it's like, "Baby, we got a chance." Like, "We well, got a chance." Denver the lot when Peyton Manning went there. Peyton could yeah. barely throw the ball 30 yards downfield and they wouldn't want a Super Bowl. It, you know, it's it's big time. It's going to be hard, though. Oh, my God. The AFC is insane right now. It's like everyone is going to the AFC. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? I, maybe you have a different opinion on this. It's got to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, Tyreek Hill... And and I get it, like, contract-wise, maybe, maybe it was unreasonable. But it's I think he is such an interesting piece. There's no one else. Like, you can't replace him. I'm, I, I think their offense is going to take a hit. I really do. I think it's going to be difficult for them to recreate kind of what they've had. And it's been a little bit tougher anyways but would you take that piece out he's such a safety valve for the way Patrick Mahomes plays like either running under balls or the scramble drill the way they use him in some different situations I think it could be really difficult for them to recreate that no one in the NFL affects the way a defense has to play more than Tyreek Hill yep. I, I truly believe that like his speed, like just even game planning for it, right? And all the ways that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy would move him around and utilize him, like, yeah, it's impossible to replace. But I know this. They got a really good front office. They've got a ton of draft picks. 
they're going to go get a couple wide receivers, whether it's the draft or maybe they trade for some, like something's going to happen. They're going to make a move. Like they'll, they're not going to, they're not going to let Patrick Mahomes be Aaron Rodgers. Like he's going to have weapons. I know that now they also believe that he elevates all the guys around him. Right. But they, they want to keep him happy and they want to keep going to Super Bowls. You just lost your biggest offensive weapon. Now it's up to Andy Reid and that front office and Eric being enemy to not only get new guys, but get new guys and then get even more creative offensively. Yeah, I was kind of, I was conflicted. I wanted to put Miami as the winner because I think like McDaniel and what he was doing with Debo Samuel, I think there's a lot of carryover and he, he's, he's a different type of personality, different kind of guy. And I think he's going to get really creative with Tyreek Hill and do some really fun stuff with him. Yeah, not only that, how happy is Tua? I know. So All of a sudden, his wide receiver core looks a little bit different now, doesn't it? Well, you, you've got two of the fastest guys in the league. I would love to watch Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill race. I'd, I'd probably pay to see that, honestly. But not only that, like sneaky, low-key signing, even though they gave him like, $82 million or something like Teron Armstead. I mean that he's going to be their left tackle. Like he's going to, he's going to, he's going to protect to So you've got this new coordinator, this innovative, like quirky guy, McDaniel coming in. And then you've got Jalen Waddle, you've got Tyree kill. And now you've got one of when, when healthy, the best offensive tackles in football. So it's a hell of a week for Tua. Yep. No, I, I'm. I think Miami's. I'm really interested to see what McDaniel does there. He's, I, he is so different. He's goofy. It's it's refreshing, man. You typically get kind of the same exact type of guy as head coach. It's it's nice to have a little different personality there. Yeah, it's gonna be funny watching him like fit in in Miami. Like he just you see him and you don't exactly think Miami guy. So no, you but, think gamer. He, he looks like a gamer. <laughs> like that guy, that guy plays a lot of Halo. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, do people still play Halo? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think they okay. just came out with the new game recently, didn't they? I think so. Or was it like a movie that they came? I don't know. We sound, uh, maybe that's right. We sound yeah. old and yeah. stupid, but <laughs> yes. it's been a long time, Guilty. which is accurate. So uh, I'll, I'll stop there. All right. For my winner of the week, thought about going. With Ferrari. Okay. Now, this is technically from last weekend, but like you said, it's been a while. Ted, Formula One is back, baby. We are back. And this is going to make you happy. Okay. Neither Lewis Hamilton nor Max Verstappen won the first race of the year. Did they cancel the rest of the season? Is it over? <laughs> it is. It is not. Ferrari, the Ferrari combo of Charles Leclerc, which, what a name. And Carlos Sainz finished 1-2 in the Bahrain Grand Prix. Now, How about that? 1-2 for, for, for the fancy red car. Disappointing weekend for Red Bull. Verstappen did what he does. He pushed his car a little too hard. And then the car just kind of died on him. Sergio Perez, the other guy for Red Bull, looked like he 
I don't know, like hit a banana peel for Mario Kart on the last lap of the first turn and cost him a podium. It was it was actually kind of hilarious if you if you don't root for Red Bull. And then just a disastrous race for McLaren. So I I know you love my Formula One updates. So just, just so that. you know, they're coming. And they changed a bunch of rules. The car's different now. Like this could be more interesting. I think this is the year you get into it. It's on ESPN, I love it. man. I love Ferrari. Um, it's good to see them win. I just hope that the heads of uh, Formula One don't kill those guys off for beating Verstappen. Um, so and Lewis Hamilton. So no, nah, I'm I'm excited about that. That's cool. Yeah, love so it. We'll we'll see if Ferrari can keep it rolling. But my winner of the week, Nico Iamalieva. And if you don't know who Nico Iamalieva is. He's a five-star quarterback from California who has committed to the Tennessee Volunteers. It's a huge get for Josh Heupel. And just a reminder, when it comes to fundamentals and technique, Hype is known as one of the best QB developers out there. I mean, he is. But that, that's not exactly the sole reason that Ian Malieva committed to USC. The Athletic put out a story last week about a five-star recruit signing an agreement with a school's NIL collective that could pay him $8 million by the end of his junior year of college. There's no doubt in my mind that that article is about Nico Iamalieva. How about that? And with him being from California, with him being from California, Ted, he can get money right now with how the law works there. So supposedly he's getting like, I don't know if signing bonus is the proper term, but he's getting like 350K up front. And once he gets to Tennessee, he'll get monthly payouts that will add up more than $2 million a year. And all he has to do is what the collective tells him to do. And they control the use of his NIL. They can make other deals on his behalf. $8 million. For Nico Iamalieva. Learn the name, people. Woohoo. Good week for old Nico. Congratulations, young man. Wow. Um, Lot to digest. Wow. Well, here's the thing I think Tennessee, I think Hype's doing some really good things there. I like their chances to, to make some waves this year. Um, Hendon Hooker's coming back. He had a really strong year last year. I think they're going to do some good things. I that eight million. If if Tennessee went, could win the SEC during that kid's tenure, eight million is chump change. Worth every dollar. Worth every dollar. Now, I will say that I hate every bit of it, and I this is not what I envisioned with college football. But still, hey, this this is what happens whenever you push it off, push it off, push it off. Don't give an inch on anything. You are barely a year in, not even a year in, and you have a kid signing at $8 million and getting $350,000 signing bonus when he's still in high school. So that's your fault, NCAA. Yeah. I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, my first thought is, Good for Josh Heupel. Yeah. It's got to be 
in a weird way. Like it's got to be cool. And once again, it's not associated with the university and the contract, you know, the athletic and their article, they were able to look at the contract. It doesn't say anything about the university of Tennessee. It can't right with how things work. And I think technically the contract, like he could still not go to Tennessee. Like there's just a trust factor there, which is, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing as well. But a lot of people, when he got that job, they questioned whether or not Hypo could recruit at the SEC level. Like he didn't exactly kill it on the recruiting trail at UCF. NIL is like, it's a huge, it's a huge thing for Hypo and that staff. I think like this just becomes part of their recruiting now. And if they've got boosters and donors that want to continue to give and give and give, and they want Tennessee football to be good and they're willing to pay for it to be good. Like that's a hell of a deal for Hypo. Yep. Nope. It is. That's a huge fan base that I'm sure can pour a ton of money into that collective and we'll see how long it lasts before any type of regulation happens. Maybe it doesn't, but take advantage of it while you can. And the real point is if it, ends up to equaling wins and championships, it'll be worth every penny. Yeah. And I will say this, Nico Iamalieva, you talk about coming in with high expectations now. Everyone knows you're the $8 million man. You talk about playing with some pressure on you, like some pressure to perform at a high level. I mean, we just saw it happen on a smaller scale with Spencer Rattler, right? We just saw yep. it with our own eyes. And that's a lot on a young kid, but we'll, we'll see, right? We'll see if he's built for it. I mean, you, you are worth what someone will pay you. So congrats to Nico and congrats to him on setting the five-star quarterback recruiting market. And congrats on creating a very bad situation for a lot of other schools. <laughs> and it, it's going to be. I mean, can you imagine, like, can you imagine the other quarterbacks now? It's like, hey, I know that Nico's getting eight mil. Like, what are you going to do for me? Uh, Nothing. Give you a chance to win some games, develop, go go play in the NFL if you're good enough. I'm not going to give you anything. And this is, again, why I would suck as as a coach. I'm not giving you anything especially before you've ever played a snap, right? But it's a different world. I'm an old man, Gabe. I'm an old man. I can man. tell how much it bothers you. It's hilarious. Well, right, I, my-, my only thing is I, I want the players to be able to have a piece of the pie. Like if you're selling a jersey, if people want their autograph, like that stuff, if you want to endorse, you want them to endorse a product, you're – car dealership or you know do an appearance like i think all of that is totally fair game but this is not like the intent of what this whole thing was set out to do and it's you know i i it's once again it's going to kill the smaller schools and help the bigger ones yeah it is what it is all right for my loser of the week thought about going with the new york knicks because trey young (laughs) owns them I dropped 45 points in his first game at Madison Square Garden since he torched him in the playoffs last year. He's become 
a a villain in New York City, and it's awesome. I love it. No, it's funny. I listening to his his interview after the game was really cool too. It wasn't even that loud. Uh, it wasn't even that loud. <laughs> that was that was awesome. I I also thought about going with Kentucky softball. Ooh, yeah. Sold the place out. And then got run ruled by the number one team in the country. Let's go, Patty Gasso. That's what we do, ladies. I watched every I watched every pitch of that game. I will say this though: uh, the softball team left some collectibles there in the outfield for the Kentucky fans. Yeah, well, I I thought Jocelyn was going to break the damn scoreboard. That was awesome, pepper in that thing. But yeah, that it was weird because the game felt close, and then it was like, oh, it's over. It was a run rule after six. I was like, oh, that's right. They destroyed them, even though, like, it was weird. Like, it felt competitive, like, because the other team actually had people on base. (laughs) So, I don't know. It was a weird feeling. It was like, oh, they they just run ruled them after six. I I don't know. It was a weird. Yeah, it's crazy. This team is, they're so stacked. It's ridiculous. So much power all the way through the lineup. Amazing. I I also thought about going with uh, the laws of physics as my loser of the weekend. Did you see the video of Zion dunking? I did. What the hell's going on with that court? It's like a, almost like a, uh, is it like, it's got give to it to like reduce impact on the joints or is it like, is it the light playing tricks on my eyes? No, because it's definitely not. It's definitely something with the court. And, it looks it, like he's denting the basketball court. That's yeah. what it looks like. It, there's no doubt. Because even when the video first starts and he's just walking, you can see it. I don't know. It looks like the, like the floor that gymnasts do their floor routine on. Like it's got bounce or something to it. I don't know. That's I, it's weird. I will say this about the Pelicans. Maybe get him to lose the proper amount of weight to where he can just work out on the regular floor. I feel like you're enabling Zion guys by saying, Hey, you can go run on the padded floor. Hey, what if we, what if we built a million dollar padded floor that Zion can practice on? How about that? Maybe everyone will install. Maybe it's just, maybe it's the future floor of the NBA and we're just now finding out. Maybe it could be it. I've seen rubber basketball courts before, Yeah, but I've never, I've, I've never seen a floor bend like that. It's weird because it, it's it got to be just barely enough and like enough weight that has to be on it to engage it or else you wouldn't really be able to bounce the ball very good, would you? Yeah, that's one That's one of those things. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, is it just a, hey, we, we jump and dunk on this floor? Like, is that, I, I've got I questions. I've got I'm, questions I'm and I want answers, but my I loser saw your of the week, tweet and then I was like, I've watched that video probably a hundred times in a row trying to figure it out. It it blew my mind. I was like, what is going on here? What is happening? But my loser of the week, and I hate to say it, Baker Mayfield. I mean, just been a rough few days for our guy Baker, right? Finds out the Browns are meeting with Deshaun Watson. Clearly didn't like that. Uh, puts out a statement, you know, things start moving towards him asking for a trade at that point. Then it comes out that Watson wasn't going to Cleveland. Then Watson and his camp changed their mind and they're going there. And then they're giving him $230 million guaranteed, even though no one knows how long the league is going to suspend him 
So for Baker, it's like, okay, well, maybe the Colts make sense, right? Because that would make lots, lots of sense after they traded Carson Wentz to the commanders. Well, Indianapolis trades for Matt Ryan. So for Baker, maybe Atlanta makes some sense, right? They just traded Matt Ryan. Well, Marcus Mariota signs with Atlanta and reunites with Arthur Smith, who I was with both of them in Tennessee. Some people thought then for Baker, maybe, maybe the Saints made some sense. Saints re-signed Jameis Winston. So maybe the Panthers make sense. Well, reportedly, I've, and this is the first time I've ever seen this term, mutual disinterest between Baker and the Panthers. So maybe Seattle makes sense. I mean, you go battle Drew Locke for the job. Uh, Detroit, you go battle Jared Goff for the job. Uh, our buddy Dan Orlowski said that the Bucks should trade for him. Now, that would be interesting, right? Learn from Brady. But I just don't think Tampa can make the numbers work with their cap situation and with Baker being scheduled to make almost $19 million next season. Like, there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than Maker Mayfield in the National Football League. There aren't. He should be a starter in the NFL. He's one year removed from playing some really solid football. He played injured last season. And, uh, I mean, I think he showed a lot of toughness, but he, he hurt himself and his reputation in the process of playing through that pain with the shoulder. I just feel like how all of these dominoes have fallen, like, man, it just seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for him here and how this has all worked out in the NFL QB market. And, man, it, it's tough to see. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how we got to this point, right? It was like just a year ago we're talking about can the Browns go to the Super Bowl? Like, can Baker take him there? Like, they're, they got the, all the talent on the roster, and now he's at this point. Like, damn, things can change quickly in that league. Really quickly. And, you know, his his contract is interesting. I honestly, I feel like it's Houston. And the, the, one of the real problems is he has zero trade value. There's none because like, and I don't know exactly how his contract works. Like I think that 18 is guaranteed, right? Like that is Cleveland's on the hook for it. Even if they cut him, I believe. Yeah. So they they've come out or I think Mary Kay Cabot put it out there who has covered the Browns for a long, long time. I, I think Cleveland is making it known that like they have no intention of paying that. Right. So, yeah, there's, I, there's no trade value there. So it's it's going to be really difficult for someone to to make that move because they're not going to give give up anything for a guy that you know Cleveland is. They're going to release him at some point. I mean, they can't just say we're not going to pay it if no one wants to put a trade together for him. Like they got to either pay him to be a have an eighteen million dollar backup, or you've got to you know, $45 million a year quarterback, or, you know, he's, that contract is a one-year deal. So the reason I think it's Houston is because I think it's a, it's not a great draft year quarterback wise, 
or if there is someone that that they like in the draft this year, you do you take Baker, you have uh, a rookie sit behind, and then at some point take over if if they can if they're better than Baker. Well, remember they they do they had Davis Mills did some good things, but remember new coach, new staff, like all those things. So I I don't know, man. It, Houston would make sense. I, and I mean, it comes off the books after next year. He's an unrestricted free agent. I I know that no one would say this, but it's like Houston is going to tank. It's going to be a, another really bad year for Houston. Yeah, I, I hope he ends up in Seattle somehow because he's a better player than Drew Locke. I agree. I, I like Seattle. I think there's some some good pieces there. The problem for Baker, which it really doesn't matter, he'll go somewhere that's competitive like Seattle, is their offensive line is not good. Hasn't been good for a long time. That's why Russell Wilson wanted out of there. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, man. I just he's he's the starter in the NFL, but you just look at this situation, you're like, okay, where how how's he fit? Where's he go? I I don't know. I just I was putting it all together and looking at the options. I was like, man, there just aren't many. See, some people are not Seattle, but uh, some people are saying Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh as well. Like they're in the need. There's, you don't feel very confident. Someone's just going to take over that job, but I don't know. Didn't yeah. feel like a, a great fit, but the Browns, the Browns aren't trading him to the Steelers. I wouldn't think so, but right. they don't, they're not going to have any, I don't, I, I wouldn't. That would, oh my gosh. If they traded him to the Steelers and they played twice next season, would be awesome. That inject that content into my veins. But yep. yeah, just man, things changed quickly for him. So it's how crazy the, is it though that you got a guy that's got twenty two sexual assault cases on him, civil. Okay, grand jury didn't find enough evidence to where they feel like they could get a conviction so a lot of people feel like he's totally exonerated that's not the case at all and he gets the biggest guaranteed contract ever like that's why that's why he went from not being interested in cleveland to being interested as they said let's guarantee the whole thing right that that's what changes everything it was a it was an interesting gamble by Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns. Interesting. Uh, that organization has made some interesting decisions over the years, so I'm, I'm not exactly shocked. Yep, crazy. On that note, episode 199 in the books. Woo. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Series 6 and Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Uncle. Take care of each other. Night,